I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Welcome to this week's episode. While I was up at the Whitehall, New York Sasquatch Festival, I took some time to do a little sightseeing and investigating. I managed to go visit Lake Champlain. For those not familiar, Lake Champlain is home to the lake monster named Champ or Champy. And that's the topic for this week. The legend of a lake monster has been around for centuries. The Native Americans, specifically the Abenaki and the Iroquois, that lived and hunted along the shores of Lake Champlain, had legends about a large creature inhabiting the lake. The creature was said to look like a large, horned serpent or giant snake. The Abenaki called the creature Gittisgog, which could be completely mispronounced, but we're just going to roll with it. In the early 1600s, the Abenaki tribe warned French explorers about disturbing the waters of the lake because they didn't want them to disturb the serpent. Samuel de Champlain, whom the lake is named after, is often credited with being the first European to sight Champ. Champlain described what he saw like this. There is also a great abundance of many species of fish. Amongst others, there is one called by the natives Chalsaro, which is of various lengths, but the largest of them, as these tribes have told me, are from 8 to 10 feet long. I have seen some 5 feet long, which were as big as my thigh, and had a head as large as my two fists, with a snout 2 feet and a half long the double row of very sharp, dangerous teeth. Its body has a good deal the shape of the pike, but it is protected by scales of silvery gray color and so strong that a dagger could not pierce them. The next famous account appears in the Plattsburgh Republican newspaper on Saturday, July 24, 1819. Captain Crum was aboard a scow on Bulwaga Bay the previous Thursday morning when he reported a black monster about 187 feet long with a head resembling a seahorse that reared more than 15 feet out of the water. Crum claimed the monster he saw had three teeth, eyes the color of a peeled onion, a white star on its forehead, and a belt of red around the neck. This is a remarkable level of detail, considering the object was some 200 yards away, according to the witness. In 1873, Champ had a busy year. A New York Times story reported that a railroad crew had seen the head of an enormous serpent in Lake Champlain, with bright silvery scales that glistened in the sun. Both the men and the monster parted ways at that point. 
In July that same year, Clinton County Sheriff Nathan H. Mooney reported an enormous snake or water serpent he thought was about 25 to 35 feet long. Then in August, the steamship W.B. Eddy encountered Champ by running into it, literally. The ship nearly turned over, according to the tourists who were on board. Showman P.T. Barnum offered a reward of $50,000 in 1873 for Hide of the Great Champlain Serpent to add to my Mammoth World's Fair show. In 1945, Passengers of the SS Ticonderoga claimed to have seen a creature. A letter about an encounter was submitted to a Champ researcher who in 1961 was driving by Northwest Bay in Westport, New York. The witness wrote, When first seen, it appeared as a massive gunmetal gray, approximately 18-inch wide cable on the shore and into the lake. It appeared to be a monstrous eel with white teeth, that raked rearward in the mouth. Like with many lake monster stories, large eels have been pointed out as possible explanations for what people are seeing. While a large eel could certainly explain a portion of Champ sightings, it doesn't explain all of them. Dr. Philip Rines, a former professor of communications at SUNY Plattsburgh, as well as a Loch Ness monster and Champ investigator, had a rather interesting encounter with a large eel while scuba diving in Valcor Bay in 1975. He described it looking like a big white plastic pipe and around 10 feet long. Dr. Rines would later be one of the first to investigate the 1977 Sandra Manzi photo. And that brings us to the Tuesday afternoon, July 5th, 1977, Sandra Mancy of Bristol, Connecticut, knelt on the shores of Lake Champlain, somewhere between St. Albans, Vermont, and the Canadian border, and snapped what is widely touted as the best lake monster photograph ever taken. It was said that the Mancy photo stands alone as the most credible and important photographic evidence of the existence of lake monsters because its authenticity is held in such high regard by so many writers and researchers. It has become the holy grail of Lake Monsterdom. In 1981, Port Henry, New York, declares their waters a safe haven for Champ. 1982, the state of Vermont passes a House resolution protecting Champ. And in 1983, in New York, both the State Assembly and the State Senate pass resolutions protecting Champ. A man named Frank saw something he believed was Champ on a beach near Bulwaga Bay. And just in case you're wondering, there are quite a few sightings that have taken place in Bulwaga Bay. Anyway, this gentleman, Frank, saw what he thought was Champ in the 1980s. His description was more of a plesiosaur-type creature, with blackish skin, a long neck, and flippers, as well as white scrapes and scratches on its side. A lifelong resident of Port Henry, Frank was in a boat with a friend in a marshy area of Bulwaga Bay. They noticed a large snapping turtle shell in the mud and were attempting to retrieve it when they came across what they initially believed to be a large drain pipe. 
Confused by what the object was doing in this location, Frank was skeptical that it was a pipe, and his friend then proceeded to throw a piece of wood at the object. Then it, that's when it moved. Frank said, That thing came right up, man, and hissed. Mouth opened up, and nothing but teeth, you could see it. It swirled around and went right into the water. Both men were terrified and ducked down in the boat, hiding for a few minutes. The thing they saw had a long serpent-like body at around 30 feet long and 2 feet thick. Since then, Frank has refused to swim in the lake. In terms of champ sightings, there are relatively few reports that describe seeing flippers or even a large body, and those reports that do see more than a hump in the water describe a snake-like head protruding from the water, accompanied by humps or a back in some cases. A couple of ice fishermen fishing on Bulwaga Bay during wintertime saw a large snake-like creature emerge from the ice and wrap itself around a large piece of ice, but the creature quickly retreated into the water. Champ sightings are virtually unheard of during the winter months. By 1992, sightings totaled 180, with approximately 600 people claiming to have seen champ all over the lake. People crossing the lake by ferry often look for the lake monster, hoping for a sighting. A few people even manage to snap photos of what they claim to be Champ. Much like his mythical relative in Loch Ness, Champ sightings and photos are much debated and analyzed. The 21st century saw a new wave of sightings, which numbered in the double digits each summer and prompted interest from Japanese television, The Today Show, NBC's Unsolved Mysteries, and Fox Network's Sightings. In 2003, the Discovery Channel did a special on America's Loch Ness Monster in the wake of three new sightings by June of that year. Champ has been written about in Discover Magazine and in scholarly journals. Today, Champ is celebrated, whether he actually exists or not. In Vermont, there's a baseball team known as the Lake Monsters with a Champ mascot. A Champ statue sits by the water in Port Henry, New York, and images of the monster, looking cheerful and definitely not scary, appear throughout the area, at local businesses, on t-shirts, in children's books, and more. A historic marker even sits on the shore in Clinton County, in honor of everyone's favorite lake monster. There is a Native American legend about the origin of the lake monster. There was once a beautiful Indian maid named Bulwaga, who was the daughter of a chief. She had two suitors, each professing his undying love, but she returned the love of only one of them. Of course, the rejected suitor follows her one morning as she steals softly to the edge of a cliff overhanging the shining waters. As you would expect, things didn't turn out very well for Bulwaga. Here's an excerpt from the Bulwagian from 1923 with the rest of the story. She rises to poise herself, graceful as a young fawn on the jagged cliff, from whence she means to dive far into the calm blue depths. Swift as a flash of lightning, the strong arm of her jealous lover descends upon her with a stunning blow. 
His face is horribly contorted, and his dark eyes turn a sickish green as he watches the unconscious body rise and sink on the surface. In sudden horror at his deed, he dislodges two stones and with one in either hand plunges into the bay, sullying the pure waters as he sinks and imparts to them the greenish hue of his eyes. The angry fates change him into a huge sea monster, destined to call every morning for his love, hence the Indians hearing his cry of Bulwaga. Why is it that every Native American story about things like this seem to involve lovers who can't be together in some form? Interesting. In my search for information about Champ, I came across other information about strange paranormal happenings at Lake Champlain. There was a local store clerk who didn't have any interesting experiences to share about the monster, but she did mention that all sorts of strange stuff happens in that lake. She said that people have seen a large UFO flying in and out of the waters of the lake. She didn't have any other details to share, as it was a local lore type of story. There is, however, a long history of UFO sightings around Lake Champlain, including an exploding object over Burlington that was seen by a former governor and a Catholic bishop in 1907. It was shortly before noon on July 2nd, 1907. John Stephen Michaud, the Bishop of Burlington, and former Vermont Governor Urban Woodbury were talking at the corner of the street. Alvaro Adsit is in his store. W.P. Dodds is in his office at his insurance company. Suddenly, a bright ball of light catches Dodds' eye. It is in the sky to the northwest and descending. Adsit sees it too. Looking out his store window, he sees a fireball drop in front of a nearby furniture store. When the ball is about 15 feet above the street, boom, it explodes. People rush into the street to see what has happened. They find a horse lying lifeless in the road. Moments later, the horse stirs and gets back up on its feet. A young man working at the theater a block away on Main Street says he saw the fireball. Another unidentified man says that he saw the ball strike College Street, knock over the horse with its blast, and then shoot back into the sky. The bishop explained that he was talking with Governor Woodbury and a Burlington businessman when, without the slightest indication or warning, we were startled by what sounded like a most unusual explosion, evidently very nearby. Raising my eyes and looking eastward along College Street, I observed a torpedo-shaped body some 300 feet away, stationary in appearance and suspended in the air about 50 feet above the tops of the buildings. In size, it was about 6 feet long by 8 inches in diameter, the shell cover having a dark appearance, with here and there tongues of fire issuing from spots on the surface resembling red-hot, unburnished copper. The object at first was still, but then it began to move slowly over a nearby store. As it moved, Michaud said, the covering seemed to be rupturing in places, and through these the intensely red flames issued. 
The bishop's first thought was that he had seen an explosive shot from the upper part of the hall furniture store, which stood on College Street. The object was encircled by a dim halo of light about 20 feet in diameter. The bishop was shaken by the event. Four weeks have passed since the occurrence of this event, but the picture of that scene and the terrific concussion caused by it are vividly before me, while the crashing sound still rings in my ears, he said. I hope I may never hear or see a similar phenomenon, at least at such close range. In August of 1968, on the shores of Buff Ledge Summer Camp in Colchester, two camp counselors witnessed a strange craft flying in and out of the lake and would later claim to have been abducted by the UFO. They said that they saw a cigar-shaped craft that had three smaller crafts split off of it and descend towards Lake Champlain, with one ship splitting off to hover above the two teenagers. To hear more about this encounter, you can find it as a bonus episode on our Patreon. Another encounter occurred while a couple was driving along a remote stretch of road one evening near Westport. They claimed to have been victims of an aggressive flying saucer attack. For miles, the couple was chased down the road. They feared they would be sucked up into the ship. Once they made it into town, though, the UFO disappeared and was not seen again by the couple. There was a young boy living a few towns away who allegedly saw the UFO that weekend as well. In 2016, a man on his boat witnessed a UFO hovering over Shelbourne Bay as it dropped three or four unknown objects out of sight of the witness, according to a MUFON report. Many other reports exist, and it is interesting to see the interaction of these supposed UFOs and the lake itself. Lake Champlain, stretching over 120 miles north and south, and 12 miles at its widest point, was a major transportation route for Native Americans and migratory animals. Later activity included European exploration and military conflict as claims were staked on this continent. During the 1800s, as our country was being settled and developed, the lake served as a principal commercial transportation route to ship goods and materials north and south and east and west across the lake. During that time, it was a hustling and bustling with activity, and the lake bottom is home to over 300 known shipwrecks. For decades, marine archaeologists have been identifying, researching, and documenting shipwreck information on the bottom of Lake Champlain. Some of the shipwrecks discovered were from the time of military conflict, but a good share began their permanent rest on the lake bottom during the commercial era when steamboats, canal schooners, and ferries were predominant on the lake. Often these ships had tragic endings, and blame was frequently laid to the Champlain witch. That's what I said, a witch. It is common knowledge among serious local long-term sailors and boaters on this lake, even today. Some swear this lake is haunted by a very vengeful witch, perhaps a mother or a lover who lost a young sailor to these waters many years ago. It's the Champlain witch that gets the credit for the freak pop-up storms, the rogue waves, and other unusual on-the-water occurrences that often end in tragedy. 
Legend has it, it was the Champlain witch that was responsible for the tragic fate of the Sarah Ellen in 1860, which now lies on the lake bottom, somewhere between Willsboro Point and her intended destination, Burlington, Vermont. The Sarah Ellen was a sailing cargo schooner with two masts. The ship was built in Isle Lamotte, Vermont, and was approximately 73 feet long and 15 feet wide. It is estimated that she could carry approximately 60 tons of cargo. History claims that she was fully laden with blue stone when she set sail for Vermont on December 19, 1860. She was traveling with another schooner, the Daniel Webster, as they headed east toward Burlington. The captain, Henry Clay, was a very young sailor at only 21 years old. On board, he had one crewman, Joseph LaPlante, and he had also brought along his bride of only a couple of months, Lucy Whitney. It can get awfully cold in December on the lake, and winter storms during that time are not uncommon. Storms can pop up very quickly on the lake at any time during the year, and such was the case on that fateful day. The broad section of Lake Champlain can see some pretty severe wave action during a storm. It was speculated that the Sarah Ellen may have sprung a plank with such heavy cargo, or took water over the bow. Regardless, she began to sink. Research also uncovered some eyewitness accounts from the crew of the Daniel Webster. The three people aboard the Sarah Ellen struggled to free the lifeboat that was covered with ice and managed to get it in the water, but remained clinging to it, not inside it, as the Daniel Webster attempted to come about for a rescue. When the companion schooner reached the lifeboat, they managed to pull the plant aboard, but the impact against the lifeboat coming alongside knocked the captain and his bride free into the water. The Daniel Webster made another attempt, but the couple disappeared into the freezing water of Lake Champlain before they were able to be rescued. Many are convinced this was the work of the jealous Champlain witch, else why would the crewmen be saved while the young couple perished? There is also the story of a ghostly pirate ship that was said to haunt St. Albans Bay at night. Lake Champlain hosted various naval battles during the Revolutionary War, and following that time period, in the early days of the United States, the lake was contested by Great Britain, the United States, and as well as France to some extent. In 1807, President Thomas Jefferson issued an embargo intended to prevent trade with British Canada, which backfired significantly as large-scale smuggling operations began in Vermont as a result. Smugglers began moving valuable goods such as potash, timber, grain, and other commodities north to Canada through Lake Champlain. They utilized Vermont's mountains to move goods through rugged areas, like the famous Smuggler's Notch, before they would load up ships that would sail north on the lake for Canada, many of the goods ending up in the hands of merchants in Montreal. The most infamous pirate ship was called the Black Snake. It was painted completely black and had a crew armed with muskets, clubs, and an eight-foot-long wall gun. In 1808, on the Winooski River, the crew of the Black Snake ended up in a shootout with federal agents and Vermont militiamen sent to quash their smuggling. 
The pirates killed three men and wounded another before being rounded up and captured. They were put on trial in Burlington, and some of them were hung in Vermont's first public execution, while others remained imprisoned. In 1810, a ship known as the Phoenix was set on fire, likely deliberately for somebody to make a quick swipe at the contents of the ship. The shipwreck of the Phoenix is a popular scuba diving location to this day near Plattsburgh, New York. 1819 was the same year one of the first recorded champ encounters was published by a newspaper. With the age of piracy long gone on Lake Champlain, the legend of the Black Snake lives on in the form of a ghostly ship seen during a fogging night near St. Albans, or so the story goes. And that's going to do it for this episode. As always, you can find Lurk wherever it is that you listen to your favorite podcasts, or at lurkpodcast.com, where you can find episodes along with links to our social media. You can support Lurk by becoming a loyal lurker for just $5 per month on our Patreon account. And until next time, keep lurking. Keep lurking.